All right, thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here at Dominion Church. For those that are streaming on Facebook, welcome. Uh, for those that are tuning into our podcast experience, we're glad that you're a part of this. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, whatever whatever way you're engaging us, we so appreciate it. We just encourage you, if this blesses you, to like it and share it, because that certainly means the world to us. For those of you that are here tonight, thank you for being here, being a part of what we're doing here at Dominion Church. I'd like to encourage you, come and be a part of one of these meetings in person. Uh, we meet right now at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know that's a little unorthodox, but that's what we have to work with right now. Uh, but we'd love for you to come be a part of it because what we don't stream, what we don't offer on our platforms right now is our praise and worship and ministry and things like that. Right now, we just share the message. Now, on Facebook, they may get some of the ministry and things. It just depends on how the streaming goes. Uh, but I, I would encourage you to come get the full experience whenever you're able. Okay, so uh, we're going to jump into this session, session four in the series that we've been in the last three weeks uh, called The Sound Mind, The Sound Mind. And I'm going to do just a, a really quick recap of the last three sessions and uh, I mean, literally just 20 seconds. The first session, we talked about love and the weak mindset we dealt with was I must love God and we replaced it with the sound mindset, God loves me. And what we did was we really addressed how our capacity to love is born out of Him first loving us. And so what it does, it shifts the responsibility off of us and puts it on Him. Uh, one of the, I remember one of the revelations that just so uh, revolutionized my life years ago was understand that God's love is so one way that He doesn't even need us to reciprocate it in order for Him to give it. And, and for us as humans, that is difficult to wrap our minds around because the bulk of our interactions are transactions. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You make me happy, I'll make you happy. But that's not how God works. He's like, I'm just going to give you my love. And if you're like, I don't love you, I hate you, I'm going to keep loving you. He's just going to keep loving you. Uh, and then that produces space within us to actually love for the first time. Uh, in part two, we talked about I am forgiven. I am forgiven. So the weak mindset that we dealt with in session two was God can forgive. And, and a lot of it hinged on that word can. So in other words, you pray enough, you fast enough, you're good enough. It is possible that God can forgive you. And we replaced it with this sound mindset, God has forgiven. And man, we just went, we went down the rabbit hole with that. God has forgiven us past, present, and future. We tied it into what we saw in Joshua chapter 3, when, when the presence of God hit that river, rolled it back all the way to a city called Adam. It's a picture of who you were going to be, right, aside from the Lord. Your, your, your history was in Adam. Your destiny was to the Dead Sea. But as soon as the presence of the Lord stepped in, he dealt with your past. He secured your present, and he secured your future. Uh, it, it's just you got to go back and listen to it. Cannot do it in this moment. Uh, then last week, we talked about the goodness of God. That was our session last week. Weak mindset uh, that we dealt with there was, I have to be good, right? And, and, and I really was challenging that because why do you feel like you have to be good? There's, there's something connected to that. Is it because you feel like it will gain approval from God? Well, the Word of God says you're already approved regardless of what you do, so it can't be for approval. Well, so God will love me more. Well, God doesn't love more. He just loves, there's no less or more when it comes to God's love because he is love. So you have an encounter with love, you've had an encounter with God. So we jumped into that, and then we looked at uh, this sound mindset, God is good. I don't have to be good because he's good enough, right? Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm not good because we dealt with that. Come on, one of the, one of the, one of the challenging thoughts of the last week was you are good. 
Not because I say you're good, but because he says you're good. We looked at good works. Anyway, can't get into it all. So let's jump into session four. We're going to be talking about this, God is faithful. God is faithful. And we're going to start this session like we've started the other three. You guys are going to know this verse by the time we're finished with this series. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. That is our foundational verse for the entire series. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sound mind is also translated as self-control or self-discipline. That word power, when it talks about power and love, power is the Greek word dunamis, which means the power of God. And that word love is the Greek word agape, or the God kind of love, unconditional love, one-way love. So again, you guys, remember, imagine this is, this is how this works. This is how the, if you were trying to pair this problem together, this is how it would go. Fear equals an unsound mind. And we realize God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if there's anything in our life that we are making decisions motivated by fear, okay, then, then that means that there's, there's, there's something unsound about that whole environment, okay? But then what does God give us? Power and love. So you got God kind of power, God kind of love. That equals a sound mind. That's what happens. Now, when I say sound mind, I don't mean that you know everything. This, this is not about what you may know or not know. Come on, there, there are things about our relationship with God that some of us are just going to have to be satisfied that it's going to be categorized as mystery, okay? I actually, I'm convinced that uh, there's a greater depth of those who walk in faith that are okay with there being mystery in our relationship with the Father. Um, it, it could even kind of borderline on arrogance that we think that we deserve to know all that there is to know, right? I, I love one of my favorite verses is Daniel eleven thirty two, and it goes like this. It says, the people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And so I, I always, we used to have a banner in, in our church many years ago that had that verse on it. Uh, and, and that just got, it just really got into even my subconscious, into my spirit in a deep way. And, and I heard the Lord say, it's the privilege of those that know me to explore all that I am. Explore all that I am. You know, and, and I, 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 there's a great theologian that said it. I can't remember who the theologian is, but uh, basically this was the gist of the thought that said that we can never know all that there is to know about even one part of who God is. Right? And so for me, that's like a challenge accepted. Right? And so we can literally have this joy in front of us that we can spend eternity continuing to explore all the facets of how good and wonderful and amazing God is, right? Uh, and, and so, yeah, count me in. The people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So uh, if you're following along, jotting down notes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 23. We're going to re read verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, I, you know, I've got to unpack that just for a moment. There's so many beautiful things here in these verses. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In the old covenant, the old covenant focus was on self-sanctification. In the better covenant, we're told, no, God himself will sanctify you. In other words, 
He's putting the work on him. He's putting the process on himself. And then look at what he's coming after. Before you think that God forgot that situation you're going through, before you, you're, you're at the place of giving up, what, where does this guarantee extend to? Your whole spirit, your entire soul, your complete body will be kept blameless. In other words, God is after the whole man, spirit, soul, body. And if I wanted to get on a soapbox, which I have the tendency of doing, uh, so much of what the church has addressed is the spirit of the man, right? And that's the, and, and I feel like a lot of churches feel like that's the only place we're qualified to minister is to the spirit man. But the spirit is not the sum total of who we are. If it were, God should have just created us as spirits and let us just fly around and serve him faithfully at all times. No, there, there was something else that was a part of his plan. So then there's the soul level. And I feel like some of the church feels qualified perhaps to minister to the soul, but a lot of us, we're not even sure we know how to approach it because we start talking about the mind, the will, the emotions, all these things that, man, I've heard it so many times. I've probably even said it, so I'll just repent now, put it on record. You know what? You just need to pray. That's what you need to do. Someone comes to you saying, I'm wrestling with depression. And instead of actually giving them some real solutions, you just say, well, you just need to pray your way through. Right, Not understanding that they actually could have some soul issues they need to address. That's why people laugh at the church when we talk about having the answers for anxiety, the answers for, for, for different mental health problems, because our answer is always, well, just, we're going to pray our way through. Now, please, don't, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying that prayer is not important. Prayer should be our first line of defense, right? Our first line of offense. But there are issues that people we deal with on a daily basis, they need help with, and it's not only or simply a spiritual issue, right? And God's equipped us. Why? Because you also have a soul. You do, I do. And then the last one that none of us want to talk about is the body, right? Because the, <laughs> the church has gotten conversation, our teaching, and everything about the body so wrong. The church, in fact, is one of the institutions that has condemned the body almost more than any other institution, right? Because we don't understand that the works of the flesh and our body are two different things. The works of the flesh simply identify things we try to do in our own strength. But when we see something like the works of the flesh, we feel like anything that's produced out of our body, especially if it comes to the pleasure of our body or it comes to the health of our body, all of a sudden, oh, well, we don't talk about that stuff. We're just trying to, we're trying to, to do our best to get out of here so we can get to the heavenly place where then none of that matters, okay? Not in the grand scheme of things. So there's no reason for you to worry about your diet and, you know, go to the gym and all that kind of stuff. Come on, God's, and, and then, then our favorite pastors are dying 20 years early. You guys okay? All right. So maybe somebody on, maybe somebody on streaming is, is getting ministered to right now. So the Lord has actually given us authority in all these areas, and then he takes it upon himself to sanctify us concerning them. In other words, there is wisdom available, strategies available for each of these areas. But it's not based on our strength. It's based on his. Now, you're going to have to do some cooperation. There may be some times where you're outright exhausted but you're tapping into his wisdom, tapping into his promises. And, it's, and so kept blameless. I love that. Uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then the verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. Who is faithful? He is faithful. He is faithful. He will surely do it. 
So the weak mindset we're going to look at in this session, I must be faithful. Again, you know, every time we share these, I feel like, I mean, these sound good at the surface level until you realize what the sound mindset is. The sound mindset, number four, God is ever faithful. God is ever faithful. So we're going to jump into this. For some of you guys, this may be review, uh, but uh, we're going to have a good time with this. So one of the things that I've talked about uh, on several occasions is, is the different types of faith. There are two actual primary kinds of faith. There's one called foundational faith, and then there's one called finishing faith. Uh, and there is a, some real difference between the two. And so I just want to give you a real quick Bible study. So again, if you're taking notes, jot this stuff down. The first thing we want to look at is the legacy of faith. Uh, and you, there's all kinds of great verses on all this. So we're told in Romans chapter 4, Abraham is recognized as the father of faith. The father of faith. Uh, and, and then we look at some of the things that Abraham navigated in his life and ministry. We, we also begin to find this, that faith is always connected to a promise. And that's really what, what drove Abraham into the platform that he begins to experience in the Old Testament. Is, is his motivation, how he moved, he moved from a place that was connected to a promise. You know, in Romans chapter 4, and and this really is kind of a message in itself, I can't chase after it uh, too much, but um, we see Abraham and then Sarah in particular, we see that it says that they, they had this amazing faith, they believed God, that he would fulfill his promises, but it's interesting, that's the report in Romans 4, but if you go back and look what was actually happening in Genesis, the story didn't quite play out that way, right? Abraham it seems doubted. That's why he went ahead and, you know, kind of had his own idea, put his own idea in motion. He ends up uh, sleeping with one of his servants so that he can have a son, a, a son because his wife, Sarah, she's, she's pretty old, right? And then even when the angel of the Lord tells Sarah that you're going to have a, a child, she, she laughs. She's, she's, there's doubt, right? But in Romans 4, we're told that they had this great faith, that they were going to trust God and believe that he's faithful in his promises, the kind of the, the message within that is simply this, um, that God, when he looks back on our scenario, he looks through his plan and purpose, not through our track record. And so in, as far as the economy of God, he said they had amazing faith. They trusted me the whole time. But as we actually saw it play out, it didn't quite look that way, right? And so some of us, listen, the way God's looking at you is through his plan and purpose, right? Uh, and so you just need to trust him the same way Abraham and Sarah did, um, Some other things we just got to look at. I I didn't mean to jump into all this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 12. We'll just lay this foundation here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 12 tells us something that is profound. It says, uh, the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Uh, So we find out something very interesting. Uh, In Exodus chapter 19, when the law comes into play, and it stays in play essentially up to the earthly ministry of Jesus, we find out that all those experiences, even though we're told in the hall of faith, which we'll get into in a couple minutes, uh, that these things were done by faith, we're also told that faith is not of the law, right? Why is faith not of the law? Because the law tells us everything we're supposed to do. So faith is not required. You don't take a step based on a promise. No, you're simply told what to do. Do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. Eat this, don't touch that. Observe this feast, and, and you're good. No need for faith. 
Uh, then we're told in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, faith is a part of righteous identity. Faith is actually delivered to you when you have a revelation that you're a beloved son and daughter. Right? So beloved identity, righteous identity status, faith is a part of that package deal. And then Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, we find out that true faith comes from Jesus. True faith comes from Jesus. Let's read that. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's so much there that I just don't have the time to unpack. But this is the point we're making. True faith comes from Jesus. And not just from him, I would add, but in him. Our faith has a home. Our faith is a person. His name is Jesus. And so uh, when we get into this first expression of faith, we're going to talk about foundational faith. And this really is where most of us live our lives. A lot of us, if we're not careful, it's in the realm of foundational faith that we can also start to build that weak mindset of I have to be faithful. I have to be faithful. And so let's look at some of this. Foundational faith, we're told in Romans 1 and Hebrews chapter 6, that there is faith that actually takes us to different levels of faith. So if there's a mention of going from faith to faith, then that helps to build this, this case for what I'm talking about for foundational faith. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. There was a time, you know, I, I'm just thinking of my own experience. When I was a teenager, there were times where I would just believe God for, you know, $15 so I could, you know, have some dinner, you know? And, and at that time, it felt like some big faith, until you encounter someone who's needing to be healed of cancer. Until you and you're like, whoa, this, this is different from needing $15 for dinner. And, and it's not that one is faith and the other's not, but it's talking about faith to faith, where you're just believing God for your needs to be met, and then you start believing God for something that in your estimation is huge, right? There is a way that we experience faith in our journey. So foundational faith, the posture of it is faith towards or faith upon God. And it's okay, God, this is where I am. This is where you are. And I need, I need a need met. I need something to happen because uh, I'm in a desperate place, right? Faith towards or upon God. This is foundational faith. This is mankind's faith in God to get his or her needs met. Now, Again, I want to make sure we understand this. I'm not knocking this kind of faith. You have to have this faith to build to where we're going, right? I would say uh, any faith is better than no faith. <laughs> any faith is better than, well, let me just figure out how to get this done, right? Because again, that categori that's categorized what Paul would identify as the work of the flesh. Again, it's not that it's evil, but God literally has an opportunity to provide for you and you're trying to figure out how to do it on your own. And what usually, what the, the penalty that you pay is this, you, you exhaust yourself 
when otherwise you could have trusted the work of God and you could have enjoyed rest in the midst of labor. No, when you pick up the hammer and you begin to work, you are going to pay. All right? And then, you know, you know, we got pastors at an alarming rate. They're, they're leaving ministry throughout. I mean, each year it seems to get worse and worse. Burning the candle at both ends. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine a few days ago, and I said it's like it's an epidemic because ministers have missed this, it seems, almost more than anyone. That we're not called to work out of our own strength. And, and maybe... Maybe a lot of it's connected to just working out of our own gifts. we got these gifts that we're really convinced are awesome, and so we start working those gifts, and we don't have the grace to do the work. We have the gift to do the work, and I can't get into all that right now. Gift, gift ministry is awesome, but it can never take you to the place that a grace can take you, right? And so you got to know what you're anointed to do, right? As a friend of mine says all the time, you got to know how to stay in your lane, right? And so, yes, that's what we're going to do. Okay, so foundational faith... Um, like I mentioned, this is mankind's faith in God to get his or her needs met. It is wholly man-centered, and it brings us to the following blessings. So Colossians 2, in foundational faith, we're justified by faith. Justified. I love that. And justified, it's not that, that cute way that we talk about it, justified just as if I never sinned. I mean, it's cute. It's a play on words, but that's not actually what justification means. Justification in the economy of the kingdom is you never sinned. It's not just as if you never, it's you never did, right? Because just as if, the implication is, well, we still know what you did, and God still knows that he has to be suspicious about your behavior. If that's what actual just as if we never, no, it's you never sinned. That's true justification. That's foundational faith. A lot of us, we're convinced that's like finishing faith. No, that's, that's foundational. The just shall live by faith. In Colossians 2, again, our hearts are circumcised by water baptism by faith. In Galatians 3, we receive the Pentecostal experience of the Holy Ghost, baptism by faith. You see in a pattern here? By faith. Everything we experience in the kingdom of God, by faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. That is how things move, is in faith. 1 Peter 2, 24, we receive divine healing for our physical bodies by faith. Can I get an amen on that? Anyone ever had a physical healing? Right? My hand's up because I have many, many of them. I've seen miraculous healings. But again, foundational faith. We receive financial blessings by faith. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And it's funny, usually when we say all my needs, the only thing we're, we're all thinking is dollar bills. As if that's the only need you have is the dollar bill. Come on, guys. He will supply all our needs, right, according to his riches. Our faith begins in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's what we're going to jump into, and we're going to spend some time. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up Hebrews chapter 11. You guys know these verses. I'm just going to kind of jump around in them. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. So there by faith, 
Cain. By faith, Enoch. Enoch is one of those, those figures I wish we had more information on. I like to think about it this way. We're told concerning Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God and then was no more. I like to think that there's actually no mention of his death. It just says he walked with him and then was no more. Perhaps there's, there are times in history where people walked so closely with God that there truly was no need for a physical expression anymore, that he's just absent from the body, present with the Lord. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Don't you love that? Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Again, the, these examples I've given you right now, I mean, there's some great study you can do in each one of these. Everything I'm talking about right now was pre-law. Pre, all this is before Exodus 19. People were being found righteous. They were being found as those who pleased God, and they had no standard for what righteousness was or what it meant to please God. They didn't have rules telling them how to please Him. It just says that He found them as righteous, and He commended them as, as pleasing unto Him. Without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. I've got to stop there for a moment. We'll pick back up. So that there's something that we can see, all these amazing things done in faith, acts of righteousness, trusting the Lord, all these things done in faith. But Hebrews 11 is about our faith. It's about foundational faith. How do I know that? Because verse 13 gives it away. It says they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. I want to say, that's not saying heaven. It's saying a heavenly one. It's talking about the land of promise. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So again, you look at, say, Abraham, for example. It says that he trusted God, he had faith, but how much of the promise of God concerning Abraham did Abraham see? He saw his son. He did not see the descendants 
that would be as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of the sea. So he saw the promise from a distance and he was not able to lay his hands on it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We could continue. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So I'm not going to go through it. On and on, we talk about Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, on and on. We're given this tremendous hall of faith. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So in the world of foundational faith, in that world of I must have faith, good things can happen. But when it's said and done, even though you've walked in faith, you will not put your hands on the promise. If your experience is living out of your faith, you'll see it, you'll celebrate the promise, but you won't lay hold of it. If that is our sole focus is our faith. I have to be faithful. I must be faithful. Since God had provided something better for us. See, this is what they weren't aware of at that time. And we can't hold it against them. Again, go back in those verses. It said it was still God's pleasure to to be known as their God. He wasn't ashamed of them. They just didn't know there was something greater in store. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. A thought on that that, man, I I would love to just preach for a while, but I don't have the time, is how we carry the bones of those who have gone before us. What do I mean by that? We carry the things that they were passionate about, the things that God had birthed in their hearts and spirits. Many of them, they look forward to seeing those promises fulfilled, but died short of laying their hands on it. And so, as a family, we continue to honor their bones. <laughs> we continue to honor the plan and purpose of God. There's a, there's a synergy amongst the generations that allows that to be possible. And I also think it's, it's uh, profound that we talk about the bones, because, you know, there, there's some things, let's be honest, Certain way that people were, that they lived, that they believed, 
You're just like, I don't know if I want all that. And God's like, you know, you can still honor the promise, right? You know, I, I think of some of our fathers of the faith. If a lot of saints today would do a deep dive into some of the lifestyle of some of our fathers of the faith, they would be like, man, those guys were messed up. Yeah, just like we are. Are you guys okay? <laughs> yeah, you know what? We got some messed up stuff too, right? And, and we, we pray and hope that our kids will get it a little better than we did, right? <laughs> but we're building, and God is using. He, he used the generation before us. He's, he's going to use the generation that comes after us. Come on, he's using it together according to his plan and purpose. But then you turn the page from Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12, and then all of a sudden there's this dramatic shift, and it's the shift from, I must be faithful to this. God is ever faithful. Because look what happens in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to pause here for a moment. So who is the, the cloud? Well, part of it is absolutely everyone mentioned in Hebrews 11. That's part of the cloud. That's not, that's not all the cloud. That's part of it. Come on, my, my grandfather's in that cloud. Come on, uh, Kelly Varner's in that cloud. Those that have gone before us in the cloud, amphitheater as if we're in a race, right? And we're running. There's endurance. There's a race set before us. It's not just set before Matthew. It's been set before us all. We're all running. Looking to Jesus. And then what is it said about him? The founder and perfecter of our faith. Maybe your translation says the author and the finisher. We begin to realize just in that thought, there's a different kind of faith at play than my faith to get my needs met from God. We begin to understand there's a faith at play that is looking at basically the race of the ages, <laughs> the endurance of the ages, and our focus is on Jesus. Why? Because we understand he is the author and the finisher. This is not about my kind. This is not Matthew's faith. This is his faith. You mean to tell me I can run my race and run it from his faith? Man, that, that's the faith I want to run with. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. <laughs> this is finishing faith. In Hebrews 11, we read through verses 2 and 13, we're talking about the good report of faith. God, he worked with each one of those people, and he's like, you know what, I commend them, I'm proud of them, I love them. But when it's all said and done, they are not the author and finisher of their faith. Jesus is the author and finisher. Our faith begins in Hebrews 11, but it does not finish there. See, what I, what I want to say in my spirit, many of us, we have been living in the world of foundational faith, and it's good, and we need it, but God is calling us into finishing faith. 
Because where God is trying to take us is going to, it's going to require a different kind of faith. Now, notice I didn't say more faith, because this is not about your faith. It's a different kind of faith. It's not about the faith to get my needs met or to get my blessing on. It's his faith. His faith allows us to run the race. His faith allows us to endure the same way he endured even the suffering of the cross with joy. You know, one of my spiritual mentors, he used to say it this way. He says, we've all been in a race. And he said, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And every generation has been passing the baton, one to the next. He said, but at some point, there will be a generation who's the anchor leg. And he says, when one of us wins, we all win. And then right away, he'd say, but you do understand... He's already won. Jesus already crossed the finish line. He's both the author and the finisher of our faith. You guys, you ever seen on the Olympics? That's about as close to a race as I've ever gotten, a foot race, is watching the Olympics on TV. They're running, and the baton is being passed, and when the one person breaks the line, their whole team, their whole relay team is going crazy. Why? Because when one of us wins, we all win. Jesus has already won. So again, what are the two principles we learn about elementary faith? First principles, faith, foundational faith, or that faith that oftentimes can can put us in the position of, I have to be faithful, is that we can die in foundational faith and we can die without the promise. You can be blessed, but you won't lay your hands on the promise. But when we begin to understand the work of Christ, who is both the author and the finisher, according to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, then we begin to find out that though our faith began in Hebrews 11, our faith, our true faith, is found in Hebrews 12, his faith. Where Jesus Christ is the author. That word author, if you open it up in the Greek, means chief, leader, prince, the prince of faith. I love that. And the finisher, that word finisher, the completer, the consummator, the perfecter of it all. It is Jesus himself who develops and matures his own faith in our hearts. Wow. The rules of this race are governed by the law of his faith. Romans 3.27 talks about the law of faith. The law of his faith. Finishing faith is the faith of God himself. Listen, some of you guys, you've been praying, you've been believing, you've been dreaming about some stuff. And you need to hear the voice of the Lord telling you, listen, this is not about your faith, this is about my faith. I have the faith to see this dream come to pass for you. I love what Paul began to tap into. He says, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. A lot of us have wrongly translated that thought, and and, and actually a lot of translations say by our faith in the Son of God. No, it doesn't say that the life we now live is by our faith in him. It says the life we now live is by the faith of the Son of God. So listen, God, this resurrected life we live right now, come on, we're awakened unto righteousness, beloved sons and daughters, right? This life we live right now, we live by his faith. 
A dear friend of mine with the Lord now, Don Norai, he, he talked about the prayer that God loves to answer, the prayer of the unity of Jesus, right? Lord, that they may be one, even as, as, as you and I are one. Listen, everything that Jesus asks for, he gets. And you better believe if he has the faith to see the promises of God concerning your life come to pass, they will come to pass. <laughs> now, Matthew's faith, it can waver. Matthew, there are times where I can doubt with the best of us. But Jesus, he never doubts. He never wavers. He never stops. He never gives up. Why? Because he knows that when he speaks, the truth is established. Isaiah 55, 11, Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will not return to him void of power. Ah, and then when you begin to understand that you are a word spoken from the mouth of God, this is not just about prophetic words over you. When you begin to understand, just like Adam was a word spoken from the mouth of God, that we are words of God spoken. Isaiah, again, go back and read it. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, your name is a word proceeding from his mouth. It will not return to him void of power. Another translation says, they will come back and bring a return on the investment. <laughs> Oh, man, this is good stuff. Unlike the limitedness of foundational faith, Jesus' faith conquered death and obtained the promise. I love this. Anywhere we meet Jesus, we lay our hands on the promise. Anywhere at any time. You can be upset, frustrated, angry, lay hold of Jesus, and you've laid your hands on the promise. He did not only secure our promised land. If you can receive this, Jesus is our promised land. I'm not knocking heaven, but listen, I will take Jesus over heaven any day of the week. Heaven never did anything for me, but Jesus did it all. He is our promised land. <laughs> when I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house, right? That where I am... There you may also be. You guys know what I'm talking about? Somebody needs to hear this. I'm, I'm totally a mess right now. None of this is anywhere on any of these notes. Again, that translation has been so wrongly misused and abused, okay? Because even that thought, I go to prepare a place for you, the actual Greek for a place for you, if you go and study it all out, and it's a study, this is what he says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's heart, not in my father's house, in my Father's heart. Actually, a more literal translation, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's bosom. So then we take it to mean, he, Jesus, there's a reason he was a carpenter on earth, was so he could build mansions for us in heaven. He had to get training here, right? That's, you guys okay? <laughs> Come on, you're a little slow, but you're sweet, so you're worth waiting on, Okay. He, he did not get a carpenter degree on earth so he could build us mansions in heaven. The place he was building for us was in the heart of the Father. And it's in that place that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace. Why? Because we have found our habitation in him. One way I heard it in my spirit was, there's a chamber in God's heart with your name on it. <laughs> oh, come on. I think a lot of us are going to be just so wrecked when we realize what heaven, heaven experience truly is, right? 
Oh, it's, and when I say heaven experience, I mean afterlife heaven experience. I believe the bulk of our heaven experience is supposed to be realized here, right? On earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is trying to show us that the model of our existence is to figure out not how to get off of the earth, but how to get heaven into the earth, right? And the sons and daughters of God who truly take that as like, hey, that is what intimate relationship looks like with the Lord, is experiencing heaven here right now. You'd be amazed at the people that are offended at that thought. Offended at the thought that I'm trying to offer you heaven now instead of later. Makes no sense. That sounds amazing to me, right? Justin, if I said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars next year or I'll give it to you right now, which one would you take? You take it right now. But you start telling people, listen, you can, you can live a victorious life now. You don't have to wait. People get upset about it. You can live a life free right now. You can live a life where you can love your neighbor today. You don't even have to wait till after the election. You can love them right now. You got <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I don't thought. <laughs> uh, unlike the limitedness of foundational faith. Man, we got off the roadmap, didn't we? Jesus' faith conquered death, obtained the promise. The Son of God has delivered unto us this same measure of faith. I want to look at that verse in Romans chapter 12, and then we're going to be finished. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now again, what we, what we read into this, and it's not actually what's being said, Romans 12, 3, we, have, we, we tend to have this default of, well, there's measures of faith, right? That's, that's what I've heard. I've heard that preached many times. So, I mean, over here, she's got awesome faith because that's the measure of faith God gave her. He doesn't have quite as much, but you can't blame him it's as God measures it out. It doesn't say in those, those passages that he gives measures of faith. It says, according to the measure of faith. I want to submit to you, it's all the same measure. The only difference is those who take a step on, in faith and those who sit on their blessed assurance. We still have the same measure. This is all about Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. There still is our role to cooperate, but I don't have to produce it. It's his faith. Oh, how do I land this? I got all riled up on political stuff. I shouldn't have gone there. I believe it helps somebody. <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's wrap it up this way. So again, weak mindset that we're looking at, that we're dispelling in this session, number four, I must be faithful. If, if faithfulness and the plan and purpose of God hinges on my ability, I'm going to fall short every time. And I may find myself in the hall of faith, but I'll never find myself obtaining the promise. I can have some really good peers. I can have someone like Abraham or Moses in my corner. But when it's said and done, if I'm doing it all based on my faith towards or upon God, while I'll see, I'll have amazing promises delivered into my life, I won't lay my hands on them. But if I can replace it with sound mindset number four, God is ever faithful. Then I realize that the faith that I now live in is based on, the world I live in, the life I live in is all based on his faith. Then it's a game changer. It moves beyond getting my needs met. And again, this is a hard word to seeing his need met. Did you know that the Father has a need? Now, it's not needs like we have them because need often implies lack. 
because there's no lack in God. But the need that God has is the need of relationship. That's what he's always been after from day one. Genesis 1, just take your whole journey through scripture. It's about a father wanting to have a relationship with his kids. And so when we trust in God, when we begin to live our life based on his faith, then God gets his need met as well as a family working together to see his plan and purpose realized in the earth. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for uh, this word tonight. Lord, I thank you that it goes forth as seed sown. Lord, uh, perhaps there in a couple minutes there, I had some bones in this meat. Lord, if there's some bones, help us just to throw the bones to the side, eat the meat that is good and profitable. Lord, I just thank you. I, I truly believe that as we, in this season we're in as a country, Lord, that my attention apostolically is more so on the church than it is on the nation. I know that there's a lot of things at stake and it seems like every election seems to be the end of the world. But if the kingdom can really understand its purpose, the, the, the men and women of the kingdom of God, Lord, that we can hear your voice, that we, we, literally, we demonstrate your plan and purpose in the earth, that it helps us to own our position and not give it to someone else. The truth is, regardless of who's president, Jesus is still on the throne. You are still the Lord, Jesus Christ. You rule and reign supreme. As Jesus, you are the son through which God accomplished his purpose. And we are part of the many member corporate Christ, the anointed one in the earth. Lord, I wanna submit that to the places where we're most frustrated is to the places where we, we have not been the anointed one. We have not demonstrated that we are the Christ. So Lord, whatever we encounter, and we've specifically been talking about faith today, Lord, I thank you that there's a faith for each one of us that's greater than we've tapped into. And it's not based on our ability, it's based on yours. And so Lord, I just thank you that we have the ability to rest into it, lean into it, experience it for what it truly is. Lord, that even in hostile moments and in moments of chaos, a lot like what we're in right now, that we can still be effective we can still be agents of love. We can still be agents of change. So I just thank you for all these things. I'll decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Again, if this has blessed you, please like it and share it. That'll mean the world to us. And then we're going to continue uh, next week in this series on the sound.